beginning was the word, and the word was a startling ceremony two million years ago. Lightning strikes the monolithic and the universe crashed. Oh my god, Blatna! It's been off in 10k tribes, distant but familiar. Every ape is unique, yeah. Every ape is beautiful. Every ape is love, yeah. Every ape is family. Whatever their differences, wherever they are now. Advice Channel podcast. This podcast was inspired by the Career Advice Channel in the Hate Beast Discord and is intended to supplement the content found in that channel. This podcast series focuses on discussions around careers with an emphasis on business and marketing topics, but also leaving the conversation open to more general knowledge as well. We talk with professionals and entrepreneurs from all walks of life about their experience and the lessons that we can learn from them. This is an unofficial project and does not reflect the views of the Hate Beast team. On this episode, we are talking to B Money. For obvious reasons, we will use his screen name and not his real name. B Money works in investment banking, and I talked with him about how he got into that career, what it's like, and who is and is not cut out for that kind of work. It's a really interesting conversation that clarified a lot of things about that world and dropped a dose of reality that counteracts a lot of what we see from the media and Hollywood about those kinds of high-level financial careers. A quick note about our recording, I had a brief mic issue toward the end of our talk, and I had to cut a little bit out while B-Money was talking, so many, many apologize, uh, apologies to him for losing a little bit of the great info that he was sharing, but we will definitely talk again. You will also notice that we have some intro music now. That piece is from Key Lavish. That track was made for all the hapes out there, so please scroll down to the show notes below, check out his links, and give him some love. If you found this podcast and don't know what Hate Beast is, it is an NFT project with an incredible community full of big, big brains. And we are hoping to amplify those voices here and create content that can increase knowledge and opportunities for everybody. So let's listen. Um, hey guys. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming in and doing this. Uh, let's start out with a little introduction. Tell us some brief history about yourself and kind of like, what are the events that brought you to where you are today? Sounds good. Thanks, Joby. Um, yeah, my name is B money. You can call me B money. Um, I'm originally from Hong Kong, um, all the way to high school. And then, I received a full scholarship, which is what afforded me to come to the United States for college in Connecticut. And then um, I kind of knew always, I kind of knew that I wanted to do finance, partially because growing up in Hong Kong, finance is kind of the only thing you you you, you want to do. Uh, it's kind of pathetic, but that's what it was, um, and that's how I got interested in finance. I went to London School of Economics for 
study abroad and got even more interested and got a summer internship at an investment bank. And the rest was kind of history. I, I got a full-time job with the same bank and, and uh, I've been there for almost 10 years now. I'm an investment banker and I cover supply chain and logistics company. So in terms of events, I think, I think there, there isn't one event that brought me here, um, here meaning investment banking, but I think I've talked to a lot of people. I think everyone that I spoke with agree that investment banking as a first job gives you very wide exposure to a lot of different projects and very wide exposure to many different people, which will broaden your horizon and kind of help you think about what you want to do in your career. Before we go down into like the, the deep dive, um, just like kind of like a superficial question. Cause I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of a dummy, but I thought that like, me too. I, I understood investment banking or at least conceptually, you know, like I, I've heard the name JP Morgan. Sure. I understand investment banking. And then leading up yeah. to our chat, I was yeah. doing a little reading on it and I was like, Oh, there's kind of a lot more. Yeah. Than like what, what I, what I assumed, can you kind of give us the elevator pitch and summarize sure. investment banking? What is it exactly? Yeah. And where does it yeah. come into play in an economy? Yeah, sure. Um, AJ, can you mute for a second? Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. It's all good. Um, the way I like to think about this when I explain to people who are not in my industry is that I am a personal banker and real estate agent, except I do it for institution. So think about this. What does a personal banker do? If you go to a personal banker, they will help you find a loan for whatever you need to buy. You want to buy a car, buy a watch, buy a house and what whatnot. Um, and then a real estate agent will help you help you buy houses, flip houses and obviously sell houses. So investment banking is similar in a sense that we help corporations do three things. Number one, raise equity. Number two, raise debt. And number three, doing merger and acquisitions, which is kind of like buying and selling houses. So for example, tomorrow, if um, uh, Christie, the auction house wants to buy OpenSea for obvious reasons, they should be calling an investment bank for advice. And you ask, okay, why do you need to do this? It's the same reason why you need a real estate agent when you buy a house. You could have just gone to the homeowner and say, I want to buy your house. Let's get it done. And the real estate agent will come in, should come in. He or she will help you negotiate, look at a contract, making sure the price is right, formulate tactics with you, making sure that you are paying for a fair, fair price. And on the other side, on the sell side, there's also a real estate agent, right? Making sure that the buyer has enough financing to fund this is not a scam. Uh, the contract terms are, are all right accountants, lawyers, and all the counsel, they're all, all aligned on this deal. This is essentially what investment bankers do for corporations. I don't know if that, does that make some sense? Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, 
Uh, it's making me think, though, of uh, a clarification, maybe, in the distinction between investment banking and venture capital. Are those two mm -hmm. things like related yeah. in any way? Or, or so, it, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So, again, the, the the very easy way to think about this is a real estate investor is different from a real estate agent. An agent is a middleman. An investor is one with capital and is taking the equity risk in investing in something. So venture capital guys, they have capital, they need to invest in something. But bankers are just a middleman, the agent to help facilitate a process. They do not put any money in any deals. So, and therefore they will not have a cut from any results. They take a fee and that's it. Oh, it's wow. very project based. Oh, I see. That's interesting. Okay, so the the bank itself, the institution itself, is not rolling capital into Does projects. Okay. Because there will be conflict of interest in Shh. many ways. Okay, right, right. Interesting. Are there different scales of investment banking? Like, are there yeah. institutions that cater to smaller industries or, or small-scale startups or even, like, little LLCs? Or is it all just, like, you got to be, like, on, like, a certain level to, to get into that? I think they have everything through the entire spectrum, right? So, obviously, you mentioned J.P. Morgan and you have the Goldman Sachs and the Morgan Stanley. These are global firms that everyone talks about on Wall Street Journal. And then you have a lot of regional banks and all they're doing is doing regional deals, right? So um, an ice distribution company in New Jersey wants to buy up another ice distribution company, just mom and pop buying mom and pop. They will probably, you know, ask a banker to help them because they are not so small that it's literally a mom and pop, but, but big enough to hire someone and pay a fee for a you know, 10 or 20 or 30 or $50 million transaction, then you will probably hire a banker to do that. Um, that is a smaller scale, what we call boutique or regional investment banks. And then the even small, smaller ones, I'm talking about like less than 5 million. I don't think they call themselves investment banks. I think they just call themselves like transaction advisors or something, which is a way more literal denomination of what investment bankers are. Going back to this idea of, of the bank itself, not uh, investing capital, but they, you, they are loaning money though, right? Like that is. So that, that's a, that's a, that's a good question. Um, so remember I said, um, we help people, we help companies, uh, raise equity, raise debt, and merge it and do M&As, right? So you are focusing on the debt raising part. In debt raising, there are two types. One is called underwriting. One is called syndicating. So for syndication, the bank does not take any risk because all they are doing is a middleman and they are helping fundraising just like a GoFundMe platform. On the first one, which is underwriting, you're right. The bank is using their own balance sheet and they're taking a liquidity risk on that. And that's the only time where we will take that kind of capital risk. 
because that is fundamentally how banks started out like 100 years ago. And that's what banks do for consumer too, which is consumer banking, which is homeowner loan, mortgages, credit card, and all that. We do the same thing for corporation and that's called, that's called corporate banking slash investment banking on a debt raising side. Yeah, it's kind of trippy to think about because like the, the name investment banking, you know, sort of yeah, like I know. Im- implies this situation where, you know, you're, there's like some investment that's happening. Um, so, yeah, it gets a little confusing, but that's cool because then I get fascinated when I'm confused by something. I want to I, <laughs> I want to know, like, OK, how does this work? You talked a little bit earlier about like kind of what put you on this career path. Yeah, um, you, you you said growing up in Hong Kong, uh, the the financial industry is sort of like one of the um, yeah. More Hong Kong appeal- is a financial hub, right? Right. So. Yeah. So that that's kind of going to be one of the more appealing opportunities for you. Um, what was your timeline like from from growing up in Hong Kong to uh, you said you've been working at this bank for ten years? But from the time that like you kind of like started getting into this, you know, going to school, how, like what was the, what, how long did it take you to kind of like get into the place where you are now? Um, it's, it, it's kind of, um, it's through college, I would say, right? Like I, I'd say I, so freshman year, I was just a psychology math economics pre-major so to speak because those are just either they're easy or they're interesting and that's why i take i took those classes um and then sophomore year i guess is really when i had to dig deep and think about like what am i doing for my sophomore summer because you got to do something um and i was looking into everything i i got into quantitative research in the lab on campus just doing like python stuff um and i didn't like it which is great because that is the process of elimination for me so i know okay i'm not a comm sign material and i know i'm not entrepreneurial material well i i knew i was not entrepreneurial material i i i'm i'm starting to think that i i should probably start a business at some point um now that i went to business school but that's a different story mm-hmm. um so I knew I, I I wasn't like trying to start any businesses, and then and then I started talking to people because back then I was still thinking I want to go back to Hong Kong because why would I not go back to Hong Kong with my family and work there for the rest of my life, right? Because that's just how everyone thinks about it. Because uh, Hong Kong was a big city, so it's not like you're from nowhere in the middle of nowhere and then you try to go to a big city to work. So, um, talking to different people, I think finance came up 80% of the time and say like, hey, you're so good at math. You're so good at communication. People like talking to you. Um, Why don't you think about finance? Because it's a combination of math and sales and communication, essentially. So I looked into that. Um, Obviously, pay compensation is one factor but it's it's not all because again this job with really long hours um but i think sophomore year at the end of it i kind of kind of i kind of have this motivation or determination that 
I wanted to do something in finance for my junior year just to see how it goes. And that's when I applied for my study abroad at London School of Economics, which is a feeder school into finance in a way. So 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 when I got to London, I think I spent three three months I barely slept. I took classes, I loved them. I went to networking events with bankers and other finance folks like equity research, private equity, venture capital, all the jargons that you have heard on social media. I, I met with all of them and it was fascinating to me back then. So I was like, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna try my best to, to get my foot in the door. Right. And then and then back then LSE had like a case competition. So and I think because of my pretty diverse and interesting background, um, I um, I team up with uh, I team up with uh, a couple of kids and and like I think we were giving some out of the box ideas and we won the Keynes competition, which which was a huge boost on my resume, and that's how I landed my investment banking internship offer a job, um, without being like having all that Ivy League pedigree because I truly didn't come from a like a target school so to speak yeah that's interesting in itself you know that uh there are avenues into this world because when i think of investment banking you know there's like a few career fields where you hear it and you just think elite right like you you think ivy league like this these have to be you know, like you have to go to Harvard, you have to go to Yale, blah, blah, blah. But it sounds like from what you're saying, there are like avenues and ways into these kinds of institutions and these sorts of career fields where you you don't have to, you know, have massive amounts of debt or yeah. go to like crazy high level uh, Ivy yeah. League schools. I would say, yeah, I, I would say, and obviously I'm biased because I came from a so quote unquote non-target school. Um a lot of our rising stars, the best juniors on our floor, they're actually, I would say, I would say more than 70% of them are not Ivy Leaguers. And one of the problems, potentially, I hope there are no Ivy Leaguers listening to this, but <laughs> the Ivy Leaguers, they are, they are go-getters. They're super smart, right? The moment they sit on the floor, on investment banking, they are already thinking about their next job. Like what is the next job that will prepare for my resume so that I can eventually end up at Harvard Business School and continue to build my pedigree because a lot of Ivy Leaguers, they grew up in a competitive environment, right? They probably went to private school. They grew up with interviews. Networking is their second second nature. It's in their blood. Um, so they're always thinking about the next step. And I feel like over time, what I've observed during my 10 years tenure here is they don't focus on the job as much as someone who came from a no-name school and are actually grateful to be here just to have this job. Those guys grind really hard right. to, to, to get to where they are and to continue to deliver. And that, that, that makes a significant difference after 24 months, meaning after their like two years after college in terms of performance. Interesting. There's, there's so many, uh, tangential rabbit holes that I want to go down with that, but I'm going <laughs> to try and resist. I think that we could 
have a second conversation kind of just about that. Um, But but it does lead into the next question that I was already sort of like planning on asking you is who should or should not get into this career? Um, I know that's kind of a weird question, but it, it's, it comes kind of from this, like, you know, motivation of like, people might think, Oh, great paycheck, but not understand it. You know, like what's actually like involved. No, that's a great question. Um, is it, and I love this question because people need to hear this because a lot of times, you know, when you ask for advice, people say, you know, anyone can do anything. If there's a will, there's a way, right? I think what is missing is there's a will, there's a way, but there's also a fit, right? So for investment banking, the truth is the hours are really long and we can, I can, I can, I can explain why later. Uh, the hours are really long, uh, especially when you're juniors, you don't really have a say around a so-called work-life balance. I'm not saying we're strapping you on a chair or anything like that, but it's just the environment you're in it is very stressful. There's always work. You are unlikely going to be able to take vacation whenever you want. And that's a big minus, right? Like I, I, I'm painting a really bad picture here, but like there is a live deal going on and a client wants that closed right after Independence Day. Who do you think is going to be working through Independence Day then? Somebody right because the deal has to close um it's the same for any industry but somehow other industries has a way to to not carry this reputation but a lot of times um especially for holidays is when people realize that this is not a lifestyle job and the market is paying a price for it because bankers are allegedly well compensated right so for people who are going for a higher paycheck and they are willing to uh, understand that work-life balance is not the number one part priority for this job for at, for at least the first few years of their career. This is, this is completely for them. But if people want to be like, I want to work whenever I want, uh, wherever I want, then it sounded like it is more of a software engineer type of person to me because they work in a very almost like decentralized manner. And I know some software engineers, they can like, they can go to, they can go to MoMA at like 4 PM as long as they can get back by nine and just work till like 3 AM to finish whatever they need to finish. Whereas in banking, even if we have the same amount of work, it's a team, it's a, it's, it's, everything is driven off the teamwork structure. So if you choose to not work around at like around 4 PM, you are the bottleneck. And that's, that's really, that's, that's just unfortunately how this is going to work. So let me ask you kind of a, a challenging question. It, it, I, assuming that the compensation, you know, does make up for that if you're not able to enjoy the money because you're working so much, like at what point do you, is, does that, uh, does that balance sort of shift into the favor of being, um, 
giving you the opportunity to take vacations or, yeah. you know, take time off and, and stuff like that. The, I, I'll answer for, I'll, I'll answer what, how the industry or the companies think about this before we talk about my case, but the answer to your question is you should feel free to quit anytime and people quit anytime, <laughs> right? You, like we are paying this price. I love it. We're paying, we're paying this price and this is what you're signing up for. Sure. If you want something else and you want the money, that doesn't seem like what we're offering. And no one is saying that like, you have to do this job. It's, yeah, it seems like more of like a long game, you know, like you, like you really like grind this kind of hustle, uh, for a certain period of time in your life and you either, you know, jump off, you have an exit strategy to jump off at some point or you retire or however, you know, you decide you want to like manage the rest of your career. But yeah, mm -hmm. it seems like a, a, con a condensation of like, just like a lot of work for a given amount of time. Yeah. And then, yeah assuming that you're not like a workaholic and you're going to work till you, you know, keel over, mm -hmm. you maybe use it as a, um, uh, not a, not a, not a step ladder in the way that you were just talking about those Ivy leaguers that were just kind of like looking for their next immediate short-term gain, you know, but like a long-term gain. Does that, am I, I'm not, does that sound, am I understanding kind of relatively? Oh yeah. I think, I think, I think, I think yes you are getting the picture but i also want to offer another point that i haven't heard many people talk about is all the successful entrepreneurs that i know i'm not talking about these like crypto traders that somehow made bank because they bet on one asset i'm saying you know the the ones that built sustainable businesses um and are making very good money uh, those people I know, if you ask them how much they work, they will tell you that they work 24 seven. They, their work is endless because they are driving the business. There's always work for them. There's always a phone call they can make. Uh, they can always talk about marketing. They can always think about how to optimize expenses. They can always think about whether to open a new restaurant. They can always think about things and do things and ask people to do things. And people below them are obviously working all the time too. Um, I guess my point, but they have a little bit more autonomy because they are the boss and they get to choose whenever they shut down. But when they shut down, their business shuts down before they build a sustainable business, right? So my point is people who make decent money from an entrepreneur track, entrepreneurial track, they put in the work and they work like bankers at some point. And the autonomy, the, the autonomy or, or, or the, the so-called freedom or flexibility or work-life balance really came only after things are all set up. And they can't afford to stop working in the initial phase because the moment they stop, the whole world stops, meaning like their business stops. But right. here, if you are a salary employee, if you slack, you will get a bad performance review, but you still get paid because you did not take that entrepreneurial risk. And, is the, and I'm just saying, I guess all I'm saying is, I think whoever is successful, they did work hard for 
for the most part. Um, and that's how I see it. Maybe that's how that because of the perspective, I get less burnout on my job. That's that's interesting. I I like hearing about how people can do uh, high demand, high workload jobs while managing that stress and managing that bur burnout. Because the the trope is that you know you, the financial uh institution the, this is a job that demands workaholic you have to just be like go 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 it's like high stress and people have heart attacks they drink too much they do coke you know it's just like this this sort of like wolf of wall street sort of uh, mythology around what that kind of what that environment sort of looks like you seem very down to earth and <laughs> very well balanced, you know, like I don't, I haven't known you for very long, but I don't get the, um, the, the impression that you're blowing off steam with Coke and hookers, you know, that like you have like healthy ways of managing your stress. And so that's like, that's reassuring to hear that, you know, and, um, just in the sense of like, people can do this job and not have to burn themselves out. I mean, this is what media is right they want you to believe in one image or another they want to they want people to think that investment bankers are all overcompensated their life is all models and bottles otherwise but it's true to me the running joke is really just it's all financial models and pepsi bottles that's all it is <laughs> did you make that up no, but like, it's like, it's one of those like running jokes that is no longer funny to any financier, but it's funny to uh, outsider, you know, you know what I mean? <laughs> Hence me laughing and you're like, this is fucking boring. <laughs> this is, I mean, I have heard this joke like in 20, 2013, so. <laughs> cool. I don't know why that tickles me so much, but it, it really does. Um, so man, there's, there's, a, there's a lot more that I would like to talk to you about with that. Um, but I was kind of also curious to talk to you about something um, very loosely tang tangentially related to what you do, because you and I met and we are talking in the context of an NFT community, uh, you know, kind of like within the cryptocurrency world. So I thought maybe we could have like a, a quick kind of brief uh, discussion, theoretical discussion, um, about how crypto kind of relates to some of the things that you do or the world that you're in. Cause I'm curious on what, what your thoughts are on the tie in between traditional institutions and crypto. Like in 2021, we just kind of started hearing the start of those sort of moves being made. And since you're yeah. an insider, um, yeah. You know, obviously yeah. you're an you're an anonymous informant, but maybe if you have some kind of perspective on that, that the outside world maybe hasn't heard or some kind of yeah. clarification of a lot of what you hear in the media. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not legal, not financial, not tax advice. And this is just my personal opinion, which is not so much an opinion um, once you have once you have heard it yeah, it's um, educated because opinion. honestly don't know much i i would what i'm going to say is it's really just based on what i know and just 
the vibe that every institution is given out is that number one, investment banks are middlemen, right? And will always be the middleman. So when you have a bunch of billionaires where, you know, they're putting money with us and they say, can you manage our asset? We kind of have to give them the choice to invest in the most lucrative hyped uh, 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 asset at the time while mitigating the risk. And that's why you see banks are quote unquote getting into crypto. They were not putting their own money in crypto, right? They are just saying, let, hey, billionaire who doesn't have time, let me set up a Coinbase account for you and invest the money in crypto for you. But I'm just a middleman. I'm not even in crypto. Super high level analogy, but I'm, I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. That I do. And it's, it's actually really interesting because you know, one of like the sort of like big news items that you'll hear is that like, although I'm probably going to fuck this up, I might be like misquoting. I think JP Morgan uh, is like putting, again, here I'm going to miss, I'm going to say it wrong, but quote, putting a lot of money into Bitcoin. Uh, I think it was JP Morgan. Somebody can correct me if that's not correct. But there's there's a few examples of that, you know, where, uh, big in investment institutions, financial institutions are, yeah. again, quote, yeah. getting into crypto. But what, the way that yeah. you're saying it puts a, it does put a different perspective on it in the sense that like they're kind of more just catering to billionaires' desire to see their money grow. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Go yeah. ahead. And, and, but, but even like even Coinbase, right? Like I think about what Coinbase is doing. I I know. You can challenge me saying they have a wallet, they have like a reserve and whatnot. But if I bring it down to the super, super uh, simple business model, Coinbase um, is an app that gives you, a regular average Joe, uh, a way to invest in Bitcoin. And Coinbase does not have to expose themselves into Bitcoin at all because they are an enabler, right? So, and I know Coinbase has since then evolved into like actually getting into crypto because they believe in it. But I, all I'm saying is in a booming market, if you are a middleman and you take no risk and you just take a 2% cut, you can actually make a lot of money still when the 2% is off billions and trillions of money, right? Yeah, this is really interesting. It puts a completely different spin on there the is news yeah. items that you hear you know because like when you hear jp morgan is doing whatever you know this this is more like well th this seems like it's m not really that much different than than me putting money into you know or buying currency on coinbase or you know whatever um it's just if i have massive amounts of money and not a lot of time i'm gonna hire somebody to manage these assets for me so it's almost kind of misleading if you hear a news item that's like you know financial institution x just threw a bunch of yeah. money into cryptocurrency y it's actually yeah. not quite accurate because it's just yeah. them doing that on the behalf of billionaire investors yeah again i mean we could be both wrong they i mean the banks are probably doing it themselves as well i i don't think we know 
but I'm just offering another way to dissect an article that you see beyond the title slash a clickbait. Okay. That's just, that's just, that's just all it is. Um, another, what, what, what that, what that leads me to say, the second thing that I want to say is the banks are kind of like airlines in a sense that they are very close to the government. Right. They are not owned by the government, but they're very close to the government. Right. Like imagine bodies of a country. So they, for one reason or another, they will have to be very tight with the government. Um, you know, they're, they are the only reason why vaccine can go around the world so quickly. Right. Like, and bank serves the same kind of not the function, I would say, like, they make money move right so like in the economy right so while they're not owned by the government they are very much tight with the government and when you're what when you're tight with the government you can't be that innovative because government moves really slow for reasons that we all understand right and that's one factor yet another factor to think about why banks are not liking crypto, but they don't say why they don't like crypto. Um, they, or maybe they don't like the idea of being decentralized and all that. And what people haven't really talked about is also the government factor. Yeah. So uh, let's touch on that a little bit because there, you know, in the crypto world, there is some fear growing about what the future of cryptocurrencies, you know, NFTs, decentralized organizations might look like. Uh, in relation to government regulation, <clears throat> and you know, again, like you're you're not a government regulator, you're not a lawyer, you're not giving financial or legal advice, but there are lots of people building livelihoods in Web three. Do you have any theorizing on uh, potential future outcomes or some things that people can do to prepare themselves and insulate themselves um, against you know foreseeable future consequences? Yep. Um, the only advice I have is to make sure your tax guy and your lawyers are, first of all, friends with you. Um, sec second of all, make sure they are up to date because a lot of times what I see, a lot of the so quote unquote tax guy, my lawyer and blah, blah, blah. They're like. 40 to 50 years old, uh, year old people. And they, and I, I mean, I'm biased, but like that generation typically don't keep up with how quickly the world is innovating, evolving. So I genuinely hope that you are asking them to be up to date with regulations because because when when the government put puts their fist down, there's there's no other way to protect yourselves, but uh, unless you you are you have the right advisors, you know, by your side. Um, that's my only advice because I I'm not I'm not in a legal I'm not even in the legal field. Like I can't even have like a proper opinion. Sure. Um, but what you can do is you need to bug them and say, hey, are you keeping up with this? right? Because it is blowing up really quickly. Um, 
which by the way means if you're in a legal field or in accounting or tax field you are also benefiting from not taking any capital risk but your industry if you as long as you're you know doing your niche is crypto you're going to benefit a lot from this without having to take any risk because you're going to be the expert and go to person that people call up yeah yeah it um it makes me nervous sometimes you know when i look at some of these nft projects and some of the language that they use or some of their the plans that they have in their roadmap and it's almost kind of made me start thinking you know about actually asking the question and this might be i don't know a, a hesitant piece of advice that i would put out there is that if you're looking at nft projects to get into um maybe don't be afraid to ask like what their long-term plan is for a legal team because that is going to be, I think, part of the future of the space and a necessity. And if a project is going to have um, longevity, I think that has to be part of their their plans yeah. for the for the future. I'm sure Hate Beast has one thousand percent positive. Hate Beast has a legal team because it seems like it wants to be that kind of uh, that kind of project. But yeah, so just kind of like putting that out there for anybody that might be listening to this after the fact, thinking about something like that. Um, but moving away from that for a little bit and kind of trying to tie the investment banking concepts and web three, uh, together again, uh, and again, asking you to sort of theorize, can you envision something that is built using web three protocols that would look something like investment banking, like a decentralized investment bank? Um, I I have to say I don't fully know what Web three stands for. It feels like everybody has a different um, imagination of what that is. Uh, to me, Web three is a little bit synonymous to Metaverse because I'm a total rookie until a month ago. Um, okay, that's fair. But but can I be? my own boss in the metaverse advising clients in the metaverse that is entirely possible but i don't know if that's what you're asking yes in a sense um so this is interesting conversation in itself just for the fact that like i i love hit because we're all the cliche is we're all so early and this really drives home how early, how early we are because this is all theorizing and we have to kind of theorize in this space where we're even just starting to like barely get the definition straight. And so like, you know, like what Web3, you said it yourself, what Web3 is can be different to different people. Um, my interpretation of it is that it's user generated content that the user maintains control over. So whereas Web2 is... Uh, content that you create, but you're ultimately uh, still subservient to some kind of, you know, umbrella corporation of some kind. Um, Interesting. Whereas web, so, go ahead. So help me with this. So, so to, let, let, let's, let's, I'm, I'm going to throw you a case tomorrow. Disney wants to buy Netflix. Okay. And Disney calls up Goldman Sachs and say, help me 
negotiate with Netflix, or if Netflix hires a bank too, let's say Netflix hires Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, please go negotiate with Morgan Stanley to get this deal done. I want to buy them at certain price. And Morgan Stanley is going to be like, we want to be sold at a certain price. And they're going to negotiate. And we're going to have advices, right? We're an advisory firm. We provide advice. We do analysis. We run math. Uh, we uh, get the documents in line. And we hire lawyers to do everything for us, just like buying a house. How, who is the quote-unquote user here and generating what content and how is that owned by someone how would you how would you put names in this in to 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 the parties in this scenario so this is where um, DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations and smart contracts would have to be uh central focus and so um those relationships would be built upon um predefined limits you know as far as like those negotiations would be would be had and then the smart contracts would be written so that um the transaction happens in a way of like like mutual assured benefit without there being really like any or risk between the two parties in the sense that like it's all there isn't like a human hand that can come in and say like, okay, well now I'm going to like change this at the last minute or, you know, it's all sort of like pre-written into the smart contracts and all of these transactions get executed in a predictable way. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. But also I want to say it does not make sense to the industry we're discussing um, because um, investment banking, at least within my imagination, cannot be standardized. It's like art. Like, for your next tattoo or the next 10 tattoos, I'm not talking about your the contract, your, how you're getting paid for doing your tattoos. I'm talking about exactly what you are going to draw. The content of that tattoo cannot be standardized, right? Because it's art. Yeah, but yeah, but I but I don't think that smart contracts have to be standardized. Like they can be written in any number of ways to perform any number of functions that you would want them to. Like there's like there's Got nothing it. there's nothing to my understanding there's nothing saying that you know that uh, there's a predefined set of variables and you have to work within that. You can you can a smart contract can say or do hypothetically whatever you wanted it to. Um, and then mm -hmm. the, 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 the people that are utilizing the smart contract, I'm to, I, this is, I I'm pushing the, I'm fully like admitting that I'm pushing the limits of my ability to theorize in this because I've, you've just given me like a clarification of what investment banking even is. <laughs> so this is purely for fun. Um, yeah, for sure. so we're, the, yeah, we're sure shit. Yeah, the, the 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 conceptuality that I'm having is that, you know, in a decentralized autonomous organization where um, the hierarchy is sort of flattened, you know, and the, the people participating in the organization um, 
are relying on a a, a, democ- a democratic system, I guess, you know, where they all have to agree there has to be a certain threshold of voter participation in a given decision to make it happen. As I'm saying that, as those words are coming out of my mouth, I can see how that could be counterproductive to something like investment banking. Um, so. Yeah. No, I mean, I'll, I'll give it some thought. Um, but right off the bat, it's just really hard to even imagine. So maybe I will have to wait until Web 5 for this <laughs> to materialize. If anybody is listening to this after the fact and is going like, what the fuck are they even talking about? Like, why, why this conversation? I feel compelled to explain like why I would indulge in this kind of fantasy because I I have this, this notion and it could be mistaken that Web3, NFTs, smart contracts, cryptocurrency, DAOs can uh, replicate any given institution. Not that they would need to, but there could hypothetically be some situation where somebody might want to, and they could accomplish that goal. And I, and I have this grandiose idea that these new protocols of Web3 can fucking save the world. And so I have this heavy bias that wants everything. <laughs> Every, everything can be done with Web3. So I'm, I'm, admitting, I'm admitting that. Uh, and everything kind of has to be taken with that grain of salt. And that's why I, I feel compelled sometimes to indulge in these like weird fantasies of like, well, how would this work? And because you're like right in the middle of it, I thought it would be fun to kind of go down that road with you for a little bit. And I appreciate your tolerance in that. And maybe we can pick that up again. If you're interested, maybe we can pick that up again in our, in our next conversation. For sure. All right on, but to, so to wrap up, um, is there anything that you want to close with? Anything that we didn't touch on that you would like to say real quick? No, I think, I, I think this is a very interesting conversation, just so different from all the other interviews that I've done. Um, and this is me doing this for the first time. So, uh, on this topic specifically. So, um, I, I will say I'll give some thoughts and if I have any, any interesting ideas i will ping you and then we can probably do another one yeah um there's a few people in the chat uh that have been listening is this would be a good time if anybody has any questions for b money go for it Uh, unfortunately i joined late so i don't really catch what he was saying oh yeah we were uh having a conversation about investment banking we had a a long hour-long conversation before this just about kind of his history in investment banking how he got into it who would be best suited for that kind of career so yeah no worries though what's your uh favorite part of the job did you did you hear that yep um it's really picking up the phone and calling ceo and telling him or her what to do because my opinions is value uh, is is valued and it is backed by a lot of hours going into a very technical analysis. Giving advice is is very fulfilling for me. Anybody else? I, th- I think you kind of touched bases on this, but if you're someone who enjoys trading the stock market and doing technical analysis, 
is that simply a good enough trait? Um, I spend a lot of time on my free time watching stock videos, doing a bunch of technical analysis. Sometimes I feel like the more research you do, you just like at, at some point you just need to stop and trust yourself and kind of trade. But um, um, I don't know. What's your what's sorry, your thought? There's on a that? lot of background noise, so. It's, I, think I don't it was, know. I think Mensa is hot miking. I, I turned them down. Yeah. I think sometimes the best thing to do is just turn, like, run okay. their volume down. Yeah. Well, the question is to to avoid analysis paralysis. Is that was that the question? <laughs> I said uh, so. Basically, I'm someone who enjoys trading. Right. I love trading the stock market. I think it's fun. Uh, um, it's enjoyable. Mensa, I uh, think you're. Can you hear me? You're muted. Hello. Joby, do you catch the question or no? Yeah, can't, you can't hear. It's Bruins that's no, talking. I can, hear him. I, I can hear him. He's saying he's someone that he likes trading, but then he stopped. He said he's someone that likes trading. Go mm -hmm. ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Bruins. Let's see if B Money can hear you. I think he might have me muted. He probably thought I was the guy with the hot mic. Um, no, I was just asking. Um, I'm someone who enjoys trading. Um, you know, I love like economics i majored in econ i went to ucla um getting in investment banking has something i've always wanted to do just because like i said i spent a lot of time you know reading about companies and and just like investing in general um how would you suggest do you think it's good for someone who likes to do that during their free time to get it in investment banking if you're spending a lot of time during your free time learning about yep. technical analysis yeah so let we'll make one thing clear if you're looking at stock prices and doing technical analysis meaning drawing lines and figuring out triangles and and looking at candles that is not at all what i do i i do not look at stock prices for my job um i help a company buy another company I help a company raise debt, uh, so like raise money, um, mm. and that's what I do. It is very different. I call it technical because we also run analysis, but very different. Um, but I get that if you're looking at stock prices, the type of technical analysis that you're doing is different from it's different from what I do. Um, from the sound of it, you are probably more you should be more um you should look into data analytics or sales and trading roles in a bank i think that is closer to what you like doing sweet so are you, are you doing more financial analysis then yes gotcha okay uh, um do you also work with, with like python and other programs because I, I noticed that a lot of these jobs usually require SQL and all these other programs. I'm usually only accustomed to Excel, but I know that uh, the demand for all these other programs is is growing. No, not at all. I only use Excel. It's 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 our it's an industry uh, custom, um, and and uh, I mean other parts of the bank use different things. I'm sure, uh, but for us, we only do Excel. Is what everyone is comfortable with. Mm -hmm. Sweet. Right on, man. Anybody hey, else? Everyone. 
Hey, what's up? Anybody else have any questions for B Money before I? I was gonna say sorry for the hot mic. I was just gonna say thank you both. This was really cool. Ah, uh, no worries, man. No worries. Appreciate that. Right on. Cool. All right. Well, I'll hit end on the recording. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, thank you. Thank you, B Money. This was a lot of fun, man. I look forward to doing it again.